In Taiwan Talk this week, Taiwan is kind of reconnecting with the world. Let's say after a couple of years of pretty isolating circumstances. 2023 was the year Taiwan exited stringent COVID restrictions. It lost a formal diplomatic ally when Honduras switched ties, and it signed a number of trade deals with Canada, Great Britain, and the United States. Stanford University Taiwan specialist Karis Templeman gives us his take on the year that was for Taiwan in the foreign affairs space, and why he thinks the Tsai administration may want to give itself a pat on the back. Well, I think COVID isolated everybody for a while,、uh, not just Taiwan. Although Taiwan had it under pretty good control for a long time because they imposed such stringent quarantine requirements, and so for a couple of years there, it was really hard to meet face to face with people unless you had special permission or you were willing to do a two week quarantine. I personally feel like I kind of lost touch with. A bunch of friends and colleagues and and collaborators in Taiwan.、Um, I just and I just didn't have my finger on the pulse of the place as well. And I imagine that experience is shared among a lot of people who have a connection to Taiwan but weren't able to get in. And then the last year, things have opened up again. And I've been there three times. I'm about to go for my fourth this year. So、I、feel like I'm making up for lost time. And、uh, judging by my friends and colleagues. Who are outside of Taiwan? Their their agendas and schedules.、Uh, my experience seems to be pretty common. So Taiwan is kind of reconnecting with the world. Let's say after a couple of years of pretty isolating circumstances.、Um, do you see that reconnecting happening across all phases, especially in terms of foreign relations, where we've seen an uptick in the number of visits by foreign legislative groups? We've seen an uptick in visits by trade officials. I think some of that is COVID-related, or、so、kind of a rebound out of the COVID era. But some of that also is a continuation of trends over the last few years, where you know people in countries that didn't used to care at all about Taiwan are now focused on Taiwan as an international issue. So when I was in Taiwan in March, there was a plane full of 150 Czechs coming to Taiwan as a parliamentary delegation. They had actually chartered their own airplane to come, and that would not have happened five years ago, let alone ten. That suggests to me that there's a real kind of sea change in how the Europeans, especially, think about Taiwan and their willingness to maybe tolerate criticism or sanctions from China, and they view that as as a good price to pay or a you know a small price to pay in order to visit Taiwan and to engage with the people there. If you could put your finger on it, what do you think changed for Taiwan?、Uh, just global concern about the threat that China poses to Taiwan and the increasing frequency of military activities in the region that China has directed against Taiwan, the increasing friction in China's relations with its other neighbors in the region, with Japan, the Philippines, other claimants in the South China Sea, and so forth, and then you know the Russian invasion of Ukraine really. Turned things up a further notch and really increased the sense of alarm and concern in Europe about、uh, the idea that you know major power war was not unthinkable anymore, and we were seeing actual physical manifestations of it in Ukraine.、Uh, and so Taiwan kind of got lumped in in the European imagination with the threat that Russia posed to Europe. China is another authoritarian regime and democracy. So. Uh, I think that's part of it.、Uh, in the U.S., the driver is a little bit different. I think it's U.S.-China competition, and Taiwan has always been a critical piece in the U.S.-China relationship. And with the increasing concern about China's rise, the increasing frictions over trade and investment, 
and China's pressure on Taiwan under the Tsai administration, the interest in Taiwan and concern for Taiwan's own security and long-term future, I think, has really skyrocketed in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere. I know that the coming of the COVID pandemic triggered a lot of issues with regard to the global supply chain to the fore. How much of that do you think actually ended up influencing the direction of Taiwan post-COVID? That's an interesting question. The chips issue in the United States, at least where I'm based, really has raised Taiwan's profile as well. And the shortfalls, supply chain issues and manufacturing in the US, of which chips were a part, certainly focused a lot of attention on supply chain vulnerabilities. And, and you know, COVID was originally responsible for a lot of those snafus in the supply chain, but it also got people thinking a lot more about the kind of vulnerability of very complicated multi-country supply chains that could be interrupted if there was some kind of uh, security issue in the region that prevented trade from continuing to flow. So I do think the chips issue has become much more salient during and after the presence of COVID and our transition out of it. Okay, let's talk about some of these trade initiatives that have started coming through. How significant are these? They're not exactly positioned as, as free trade agreements in the traditional sense, right? But are these important in their own way? I think the US one is, I think it's underappreciated in Taiwan, just what a big deal this is, in part because the Biden administration's approach to trade has been fundamentally different from past democratic administrations. They have been much more reticent to enter into a kind of traditional trade agreement and have a kind of protective instinct in some of their trade policy. So their fact that they're willing to negotiate with Taiwan, a potentially new form of trade agreement, uh, the reason it's called the 21st Century Trade Initiative is that they have this language that they are designing trade agreements for the 21st century for all their trading partners. Uh, and Taiwan is kind of the test case of this. So if this initiative does come to fruition, then the terms that are agreed on with Taiwan may well become a model for the U.S.'s bilateral engagement with other countries on trade issues. And so I would actually emphasize that this is a big deal. It's to the Tsai administration's credit that the Biden administration feels comfortable talking to the Taiwan government about these issues. And I think both sides have a strong incentive to try to wrap up a high quality trade initiative soon, relatively soon. So I'd expect to see additional announcements about this over the next few months. Okay. Foreign Minister Joseph Wu, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, has, has called his job one of the world's hardest diplomatic jobs. Well, let's give an assessment as to how you think overall the Thai administration did in the past year to try and encourage more people to come here to invest and, and to create infor the informal partnerships that are allowed under the existing political system. Yeah, so there's a real split between the form formal diplomatic relations and informal connections. And the formal part is what makes the job really hard. Almost nobody, no other countries in the world recognize Taiwan. So Joseph Wu's job is really hard in that he's got to try to maintain the handful of formal diplomatic allies that the Republic of China and Taiwan has now. And in most cases, they're small, they're heavily aid dependent. They often have dysfunctional governments. They're terribly corrupt. Um, they're not the kinds of partners and allies that are really valuable other than the fact that they recognize you and give you some uh, legitimacy in the interstate system. So there's a lot of, of choosing the lesser of two evils in that part of the job. 
Uh, and I think Joseph has managed as well as anybody could. It's a really challenging and I would argue in many ways thankless job uh, to try to maintain Taiwan's formal diplomatic relationships. On the informal side, you know, the amount of interest in Taiwan has just skyrocketed and the willingness of uh, especially the democracies, uh, the liberal democracies of the world, the willingness of, of groups within those countries to engage with Taiwan counterparts is just an order of magnitude greater than it was 10 years ago. And so you've got, you know, party caucuses uh, from Japan, the Liberal Democratic Caucus is willing to talk to the DPP in a party party way. They weren't willing to do that 10 years ago. You know, the people from Australia who held high, uh, important positions in the Australian government, as soon as they retired, are coming to Taiwan and talking to people. Uh, I mentioned the Europeans earlier. There's a huge number of European visitors that Taiwan receives on a monthly basis now. And so that, that to my mind, is due in part because of growing concern and interest in Taiwan and these other places, but also because the Thai administration has done an excellent job of facilitating those connections and, and trying to make their interlocutors feel comfortable and feel uh, welcome when they come to Taiwan and to to use the opportunity really to introduce those people to the challenges that Taiwan faces. And so I, I think they've done quite well on that front. You are listening to Stanford University Taiwan Specialist Karis Templeman. And that does it for this week's edition of Taiwan Talk. I'm Hope Go. Do join us again next time. Thank you for tuning in.